So, thank you, Mark, and um, I'm really happy to be here for many reasons, and I bring you greetings from Switzerland. I was born and raised there. Um, one thing Mark forgot to mention, I'm also the father of six children, so um, with all the other things at hand, I'm rarely bored. But I guess six kids would take care of that in and of themselves. I bring you greetings from the church plant. Our church plant is called Hope and Light. And we're, we are in our seventh year. And I must say, it's just a joy to be church planting. And while I spent some time with Mark two days ago... Um, I was watching a movie. It's a movie about mountains. And I come from a country where there's lots of mountains. We have tons of it. Two-thirds of Switzerland. You can't build a thing because it's mountains. So I was watching this movie. Uh, and it was quite challenging and encouraging at the same time. Some of you might have seen it. If not, I can highly recommend it. It's about 14 peaks and seven months. There's this guy, Nims, he's called. He's from Nepal. And um, his goal is to climb all the 14 mountains that are higher than 8,000 meters. I don't know what that is in feet because we do meters. In, um, but they're the highest mountains. They're Mount Everest in that kind of area, okay? He's attempting to do all 14 of them within seven months, which is basically impossible. So he called his mission, Mission Possible, because he believed it was possible. Even though it's kind of scary to face those mountains. And you know, in life, there's things, there's seasons, there's situations that come up that might seem impossible. We don't know how to get through. They're dangerous. They scare us. And we ask ourselves, can I do this? Can I really get through this? You know, church planting kind of falls into that kind of category. <laughs> and the thought, just the sheer thought of being involved in an awesome endeavor like planting a church, or leading a church, or even just being an active, faithful, serving member of a local church, I think could easily and understandably so bring us to the point of asking ourselves, is that possible? Or, as Paul put it, in 2 Corinthians 2, 16. Who is sufficient for these things? It's about ministry. That's what context, we'll get to it. Who is adequate? Who is sufficient? And my friends, this is the Apostle Paul. And it's not a rhetorical question. He means Every word he says. Who's adequate? Who is sufficient? And you know, it's a good question. It's a needy question. And if you don't ask yourself that question, no matter what your role is in the church, if you don't ask yourself that question frequently, I think you should. We all should. Because it puts everything and everybody in its right perspective. And that is God's perspective. You know, it's kind of like being in the mountains. I don't know if you've ever been in the mountains. I enjoy it to be there. And whenever I am in the mountains, it makes me feel very small. And that's a good thing. Because we are very small we are weak and we are fragile apart from God's grace. But we 
sometimes quite easily forget. In essence, the question, who is sufficient, who is adequate for these things, and those things imply everything pertaining to ministry and just following Jesus. In essence, this question shines a bright light on the essential facts of asking, who am I? Who am I? What am I doing here? And whom do I really depend on? Whom or what do I depend on or count on? And now you're familiar with Jesus pointing out in John 15 to the disciples, without me, you can do what? What can we do without him? Nothing. You know what nothing means? Nothing. That was deep, huh? <laughs> I did a lot of research in the Greek text to find that one out. You know, we can get a lot of things going. We can programs going. We, we might put on a quite impressive thing on the outside. But in the eyes of God, it's nothing. I pray to the Lord that I not just quote this verse, but start understanding it and it starts impacting my own life. Now the good thing is... <laughs> We are not without him. Or at least we don't have to be without him. Yet again, having Jesus, having him does not automatically imply that we are with him. You understand the difference? You can have somebody walking with you, but it doesn't mean he's with you. That he's really with you. So, the question is never, is he with us? The question is, am I with him? Am I listening to him? Or as Jesus puts it in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, where he says, come to me, all ye who are heavy burdened and laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give your souls rest. So he says, come to me. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. And he says, learn from me. And you... You can't miss it. It's all about him. He says, come to me, take my yoke, and learn from me. And those are imperatives. Those are commands. It's a strong invitation to come and learn. And you know, when you're walking in a yoke with someone, you're bound to go the same direction. Now, we are yoked together with Christ. And if we're smart, we let him lead. Because then his yoke is not heavy. But if we try to go the other way, you know, we're always yanking and kind of want to get our way. And it doesn't feel good. And it's not a good thing to do. I mean, what an invitation. Jesus himself you know, he doesn't send some administrator or some officer or some high angel to take care of this. He says, I have time for you. You come to me. You take my yoke. And I will be your teacher. Learn from me. And it always strikes me, the thing we all apparently need to learn the most, you know what it is? Humility. And meekness. You know why? Because we're not wired that way. Humility is not in our DNA. That's not who we are. And Jesus knows. So he says, come, learn. I'm there to be with you. So you can do the things I have called you to. And you know, my friend, all we need all we need and all we have comes from him. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, he reminds the Corinthians and us, he says, So, what do you have? 
your life, your money, your children, your job, your health, whatever it is, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? It's all his. I am his. He has bought me. He has purchased me with his blood. We'll remember this absolutely unique fact in history when we celebrate the Lord's table today. So there's no room for boasting. And you know, we boast about our successes, right? We, we, we like to say, well, you know, look, this is what I did. But have you ever realized that God does not expect you at all to be successful, whatever that means? But do you know what he expects of us? To be faithful. That's all. Again, 1 Corinthians 4.2 in case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy or faithful. That's all. And we are only stewards because we don't own it. It has been entrusted to us. And it has been entrusted to us with the instruction on how to handle it in a faithful manner. And the one that gives success, the one that gives growth, the one that makes, makes it happen that people get saved, it's not us. It's Him. And He does everything. He gives growth and fruit as He pleases and according to His timing. We're just to be faithful. That's all that's asked of us as stewards. But that is what's asked of us as his stewards. And his word, the imperatives therein, all that he declares determine our ministry. We can't minister as we please. He says what he wants done, how he wants it done, when he wants it done, and why he wants it done this way and no other way. He determines everything. And it's your and my responsibility to search the scriptures, to worship God. And you know, worship is not just the singing. Worship is 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, the most mundane things in life. And everything else, he says, do it all to the glory of God. So there's a way, obviously, to do things to the glory of God and a way that might look good on the outside, but it's not to the glory of God. So we've got to search the Scriptures. We've got to know what we're about. Again, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, we read, and this is so important, for we do not preach ourselves. And now, Preaching is not just from the pul pulpit. Preaching here means just spreading the news about Jesus. When we talk about Jesus, it doesn't matter which context it might be in. We do not preach ourselves. We don't tell our story, our experience, our opinion, our preference, our tradition. It's not about us. We do not preach, we do not proclaim ourselves, but Christ and Him as Lord. He's not just our buddy. He's not just our friend. He's not just the one that came to save. He is, more than anything else, our Lord. And that's what we proclaim. That's whom we serve. Because that's how the verse goes on. And ourselves, as your Bond servants for Jesus' sake. We are but stewards and slaves. Nothing more. And we have a Lord, not just a Lord, we have the best Lord there is. And we do well to serve Him with a happy heart. Now, considering these truths and knowing that we are His bond servants, his slaves. 
I chose 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17, and then I'll go into the answer to the question that he poses, because, thank God, Paul does not only pose a question, he gives the answer. But those are my lead verses for our time together. So please open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and I read verses 14 through 17. It gives us the context for the question that Paul asks. There it says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Do you know that? Are we aware of that what we are doing is life deciding? This is not whether you get your next promotion. This is an aroma of death to death or life to life. This is the only question that really matters at the end of the day. And we're all involved in this. And in light of this, how fitting for Paul to ask the question, now who is sufficient for these things? You know, doctors carry a big responsibility. And sometimes their patients die or they survive. But this is about eternal death and eternal life. It's much bigger. So who? Wouldn't you agree that this is a good question to ask? Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like those many. There's apparently a lot of them that don't get it. Peddlers of God's word. But as man of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. It's all about God. He commissioned, he decides, he determines what the message is, and we're just delivery boys. Nothing fancy. We're just delivering, but hopefully in a faithful manner. So, you probably figured out the title of the sermon, Who is Sufficient? Who is Adequate for These Things? And my goal with today's sermon is to hopefully encourage you, encourage us all, and embolden you to take serious the mission that has been entrusted to us. The mission is to make disciples and teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded. It's not just make the spiritual babies and then leave them. It's not just teach them for the sake of having taught them so they know. It's for the sake of them being obedient. But not to my opinion, not to my perception, but to everything that God has commanded. And everything he has commanded is in here. So my friend, we got to know our Bibles. Because if I don't know the Bible, I don't know what God wants. And if it, I don't know what he wants, how can I live according to his will? It's just not possible. So I want to encourage you to live up to this mission and to live up to your calling, as Paul puts it, to walk worthy of the gospel. To walk worthy of the gospel. I also want to show you well, probably I'll just remind you. You've heard this before, I hope. So I want to show you or remind you of our sufficiency in God, in Christ, in order to strengthen and challenge you at the same time to minister in the power of God that he has given us. You know, in Ephesians 6.10, where 
Paul starts talking about putting on the armor of God. And you know when you've got to put on an armor? When you go to war. And we are in a war. It's a spiritual war. And we have the full armor. But we have not just the armor. We're encouraged, as it says in Ephesians 6.10, Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, because your strength and mine doesn't cut it. We need him. As I said, without me you can do nothing. If he doesn't give us the strength, if we don't go to him for strength, we're going to fail. All of us. And you know, what an encouragement, just all those invitations God gives us. He says, come, it's all here. It's available. It's like sitting at a table, you know, and all your favorite food is there. But you've got to eat it yourself. God is not going to spoon feed you. He said, it's all here. Eat. Come. Learn. So we're called to fight. And the fight is not primarily against the evil in the world. The biggest fight is fighting the evil that's still within. It's our own twisted hearts that want to be big. You know, it always, always throws me, but we will not have been any better. On his last journey to Jerusalem, Jesus is going to be crucified. And the disciples know he's going to be crucified, right? I mean, he told them over and over. You would think on the way there, they're thinking about him. What are they thinking about? What's, what's, what's bothering them? Who's the greatest? Man. We will not have been any better. This is the problem. We want to be great, but Jesus says, the greatest among you is what? Everybody's servant. And that's what we are, remember? We are servants, bond servants, slaves. And in order to serve our Lord the way we're supposed to, we've got to be aware that it's not just a fight, but that he's also there to adequately and sufficiently equip us for this fight so we can win it. But on top of fighting, it's not just fighting the fight for having fought the fight. You know, like grinding your teeth, like, oh, I don't really want to do this. Grumbling. Raising your fist on the inside, you know. Being mad at God for making your life such a fight. I don't know what the fights are that you are involved in, but I know we all have them. No, we shouldn't be grinding our teeth. We should not be grumbling but we should do it with joy. You know why? Nehemiah 8. He was, Nehemiah was fighting a lot of things. And in the midst of it, in chapter 8, he says, Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, the, you know what the joy of the Lord is in essence? He saved us. And our salvation is secure. The world... Your friends, the people, circumstances, they all change. But the joy of the Lord remains forever. So here are my main points for today. First, God is sufficient. God is sufficient. Second, Christ's work on the cross is sufficient. Thirdly, God's equipping of his workers is sufficient. And God's church is sufficient. God is sufficient. Christ's work on the cross is sufficient. God's equipping of his workers is sufficient. And God's church is sufficient. Are you ready? I think you're asleep. Are you ready? Okay, good. That's at least some reaction. I didn't know if you're... Um, I don't know what you were doing, but uh, here we go, okay? God is sufficient. Well, 
If God wasn't sufficient, he couldn't be God, right? (laughs) It's pretty simple. A God who's not sufficient in and of himself cannot be God. So God must be sufficient. Because if he wasn't sufficient, if he wasn't a sufficient God, he would not be able to equip us sufficiently. He just wouldn't have the means. Or he wouldn't know how. He wouldn't be able So God has to be sufficient. And he is. The Bible testifies to that fact. And now Christ, being God, the Son of God is God just like the Father God is God. He is the perfect, perfect teacher. An example to follow. He knows everything. I have children who think they know everything. And you've probably been one of those children who thought they know everything. Well, God actually does. He really knows everything. And it's a good thing to go to him and say, well, you know, as James says it, if you lack wisdom, come. And he'll give it to you freely, time and time again. And our Lord and Savior Jesus in his time on earth as a man did not only prepare a path for us. He is the path. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the good shepherd indeed. He is the perfect leader to follow. And we all can and we all should follow him with any reservations. I know we have them. And we got to confess our ignorance and arrogance of not listening to the Good Shepherd. Because he proved to be the Good Shepherd. Now, God is not only sufficient, he's also faithful and trustworthy. I mean, you can count on him. In Numbers 23 19, it says, <laughs> what a comparison. God is not a man, we're all men. God is not. He's completely different. He's God. Now God is not a man that he should lie. Nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not make it good? Has God ever promised anything and then let you hang and didn't deliver? This will never happen. He's sufficient. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. He's also sovereign. He's the one that provides his providence and his provision to live the life that he has called us to live are sufficient. No, they're not sufficient. They're overflowing. Remember in Psalm 23, What the psalm it says, my cup, it's not just full. I mean, it's good to have a full cup. But with God, he gives abundantly. He says, my cup is overflowing. He gives so much grace that he can flow from us to those who need it. That's what we're called to do. That's what we are called to do. Now, in his sovereignty and his providence and provision... He not only purposed all that will happen in the whole universe and in this world. You know, all the wars, all the pandemics, all those things are part of God's plan. Might not be so comfortable for us, but that's not, he never said that that's what it's about. He purposes all things and he fulfills his plan according to his good will. And he's not only the one who purposes those things, he's also able to do and fulfill all that he purposed. And he's willing to do it in and through you and I. We can be part of this endeavor if we listen to him because he's the chief commander 
And he's the only chief commander there is. And my may be an army, may be a sports team. If they're not listening to their captain or their commander, they will fail. And so will we. We are, as Paul calls it in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we are his, his workmanship, created in him to do the good works, the works that he has prepared beforehand that you and I neglect them, ignore them, that we walk in the, And can you see? It's all prepared. It's all laid out. He just says, here, I'll give you all you need. Walk in them. Walk in them. So along those lines, as you know that I'm involved in church planting, I would propose that planting sound biblical churches and then cultivating a healthy and fruitful church life is definitely one of the good works that God has prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. If those aren't good works, I don't know what is. This is a most formidable work. I mean, Jesus loved the church according to Ephesians 5.25 so much that he gave his life, not primarily for you and I, but for the church. We're part of his church. He died for the church. He loves the church more than anything on this earth. Now God, our Father, He chose His Son before the foundation of the world to be the Savior, thank God, of all those who believe. And He made Him, Him alone, His Son, the only true head of the church, his church, the church that he builds. He builds his church. And nothing and no one will keep him from doing so. What a glorious truth. Did you know that the church is being built not because, but in spite of us? It's his church. That doesn't excuse our shortcomings, but it's comforting to know that it's not depending on you and I. All the good things come from Him. Every good thing comes from Him. So let us take a look now at the head of the church, the captain of our hearts, because He's the only one that can steer us safely through the rough and raging sea of confused, and man, there's a lot of confusion. A lot of confusion and unbiblical ideas, strategies about church planting and what the church should be, but he can steer us right through it. You know, they want to tell us church is about program and methods, and there's always someone coming out with the newest and the truest on how to do it, but you know, if something's true, it's either true and it always has been true or it never was so God's plan for his church is eternally true and it's found in here we just gotta look this is nothing to be invented it's just something to be discovered and obeyed that's all there's to it so my second point Christ's work on the cross is sufficient in 1 Corinthians 1 30 through 31, we read and are being instructed that by His doing, that is God the Father, by His doing, you, all of us, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. It's all His It's his doing, so that, now here's the purpose, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. We have nothing to boast, neither about our lives, nor about the churches where we minister, and if our children turn out to walk with the Lord, 
it's because of the grace of God. We don't boast, we give thanks to him who deserves to be honored and praised. But we live in a day and age where boasting seems to be the thing to do, right? I mean, we all show how cool we are, and we let the whole world know through all the social media platforms out there. I mean, most of the time, those, the, the portrait we're giving there has hardly anything to do with the reality of who we are. This is boasting. It's nothing else. We're like, look at me. Look how great I am. Look where I've been. Look what I've done. My friend, there's no room for boasting. Boasting is not of the Lord. And I would ask you to listen very carefully now. Because since God is God, as I pointed out, and since it is his eternal plan, not ours, it's his eternal plan and doing to bring salvation to this world in Christ and to save us into his body. You know, there's no such, the Bible doesn't know a Christian floating around in the world on his own, not being part of a local church. That's just non-existent. That's like my hand floating around without a body. You know what will happen to it? It will die. <laughs> no chance to survive. None. So we are members. He saved us to bring us into his body, into a local church. A church that he loves with eternal love, with a sanctifying and sacrificial love. Now having all this in mind... Don't you think that he not only has a sufficient and perfect plan, he not only has it, but he revealed it to us in his word so we can know, not assume, not try out, know with certainty how to plant churches and then live church life in accordance with his will and to his glory? That would be absurd. It's all there. We just got to see it and pray that we will stick to it in his power, live up to it. So here is God's sufficient plan for his church. And you know, it's not everything, but Here's the main thrust. And we got to see this because this is so encouraging. I hope it's encouraging for you. So here's his plan. Here's point number three. God's equipping of his workers is sufficient. We lack nothing. Oh, I know, we always think, oh, I need more of this, I need more of this. No, you don't. The only thing you need, and I need, is to listen more and learn how to handle what has been given to us. And believe me, there's no reason, there's no room for the slightest doubt to even think you are lacking anything to live the life that God has called you to. Listen to this. This is mind-boggling. Romans 8.32. This is the argument God gives. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What bigger proof of love can we ask for? I have six children, and I can tell you, it would not even enter my mind to sacrifice any of them for a bunch of sinners. This will never have entered my mind. But God gave his son. How can we even think that with him, he's withholding anything good Anything that we need. This is the ultimate 
argument he gives here. But then we go to Ephesians 1.3 where Paul says, we have been blessed, all of us, with some of the heavenly blessings, right? No, with all the blessings in the heavenly regions. All of it. You know, when I was a kid and there was a cake on the table, didn't you always have the impression your brother got the bigger piece than you did? It's like, every time, what is it? Now here, no one fell short, okay? Everybody gets all the blessings. All of it. You know how, it's a shame how quickly we forget what has been given to us. And we go to God and we complain as if he had not given it to us. But it's all there. Second Peter Second Peter, we read the following. Chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Are you missing anything pertaining to life and godliness? His power, His infinite power has granted us everything through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us, oh, there's more to us, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and then it goes on. He says, you have it all, all. But now it's up to you and me to make every effort to train and get accustomed with what he has given us so we can live a life in godliness. So we can walk worthy according to the gospel. So it's all there. And, you know, while in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul Ask the question, who's sufficient? Now here's the answer. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 4 through 6. He says, Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate or sufficient in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. Nothing. But our adequacy, yours, mine, our adequacy, our sufficiency is from God, who also made us adequate as servants, servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives. It's not just obeying rules. We are new covenant servants. This is so amazing. Do you know what it means to be a new covenant servant? How do we become that? Well, Ezekiel 36. What a fantastic passage. Here God says, Then I will, so God is taking action. I will sprinkle clean water on you, that you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and listen to this, and cause you to walk 
in my statues, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. That's what it means to be a new covenant servant. This is what God has given you. This is what he wants to work through me and you. And yes, we are partakers of the new covenant. I don't know how you do it. When we do the Lord's Supper, I always read 1 Corinthians 11 and remind the church how we are supposed to partake in this ordinance. And there in 1 Corinthians 11, Jesus says, verse 25, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. When we take the cup, it reminds us that the new covenant has been initiated. We're partakers. The full fulfillment is waiting for Israel, but we are partakers. And Jesus made it very clear. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Wow. New covenant servants. What are the keys to becoming a new covenant servant? To live this new covenant life? Well, the power and presence of Christ. Matthew 28, when it says, it reminds us to go out and make disciples. He doesn't just say, go do this, good luck. What does he say beforehand, before he says, go and make disciples? You can answer. What does he say? It's very important that we see this. Well, I'll help you. He says, I have all the power in heaven and on earth. I got, all, I got everything under control. Oh, I remember when I was in school and I got in trouble, I wish I would have had an older brother who had all the power, just not in the world, but just where I was at. That would have been very helpful. But I didn't. Here we have someone who says, hey, I have all the power, and he has proven it. He raised the dead, he fed people, he walked on water, he cast out demons. The disciples said, yeah, right. He's, he can do everything. And what does he say at the end of the Great Commission? He he's not only has the power, but I am with you. Always. Do you know that Unease feeling of feeling abandoned and lonely in a dangerous situation? You're not. Never, ever. I know it feels like sometimes walking through a dark valley as we read in Psalm 23, but you know what? The Good Shepherd is there. Why? Because he promised, and he's not a man that he should lie, remember? When he said... I know, hey, believe me, it doesn't always feel like it. But that doesn't change a thing about the reality that he that has all power, he's there. He's not there with you only, he's there for you. Oh, we got to remind ourselves of this so we can live the life we have been called to. So the key is Christ's power and presence. The means, his word. Here. You know, I come from Switzerland. Zwingli was one of the reformers, and he died. He died for his conviction. Man died so we can have a Bible we can read and understand in our hands, and they knew why. Because this is the power of God. This is what Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Psalm 19, 7, 8, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. You need soul revival? Here it is. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Oh man, I need a lot of wisdom. A lot of wisdom. So I go there and he gives it to me. It's here. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. You're sad? Here's happiness to be found. It's all here. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. And he's talking about the eyes of our hearts. You don't know which way to go. You can't see the next step. Here. It's all here. 
Or as a New Testament writer puts it in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable. Did you know that even Chronicles is profitable? Yeah, who would have thought, huh? Chronicles? Yes, even Chronicles. All scripture is inspired. It comes from God, breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate. So that he may be adequate. Equipped for every good work. Now I have a question for you. What more do you want than to be adequate and equipped for every good work? What more, did you, what more could you want? I don't know anything else to put on the Christmas list. <laughs> How do we get there? Here. Here. This is why the reformers paid with blood and their lives. My friends, I hope you read and study this. And that you pray to God that he will enlighten your eyes, that you can see it, that you will find joy and not consider it a drag reading the Bible. It's all in here. He has provided in abundant ways. And he's not just given us his word, he's given us his spirit, who's the author of the word. And he dwells in us. And the author of the word is the teacher, the comforter. He's the one that, he's our advocate. He's always there. He's the one that leads us into all truth. Can you see the sufficiency in God? In all the many ways that he provides for us? And then there's the fellowship of the church. Those who love the God and love his word and are led by his spirit. We are here to look after each other. We are here to be good examples. Did you know that you're always an example? The question is just, are you a good one or a bad one? And it's very simple. A good example is someone that draws you closer to Christ. A good example is someone that encourages you and helps you to live a sanctified life. Now, there's the other examples that say, oh, you don't need to be so serious. I mean, you're saved. You're going to heaven, you know. And God said he set us free. So, man, go out and enjoy life. Well, we are to enjoy life, but within the boundaries God has set. So we're always examples. There's good ones. There's bad ones. There's those who depend on the sufficiency of God and there's those who seem to be the lone wolves out in the prairie being completely self-sufficient. They think they got it all under control. They got it all figured out. They know what to do. And without them, the church will die. Well, it won't. It actually says about people who have such a high view about themselves and boast. It says the following in Jeremiah 17, 5, 6. This is... This is hard truth. Cursed. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. The only good that comes, comes from him. So we go to him. And we follow good examples. Hopefully and in order to live up to our calling, there needs to be preparation. And preparation takes time. Good things take time. Strong trees grow slow. You don't throw a seed on the ground and there's a strong tree there that can withstand the storm. It just won't happen. So God provides everything so we can prepare adequately. And there's a part that God does and there's a part that's my responsibility. And Paul puts it very clearly in 1 Corinthians 15.10 when he says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. Amen. 
and his grace toward me did not prove to be vain. Oh, you can have all the grace of God in vain because you don't use it, because you don't let grace do its work on your heart. So he says, I labored even more than all of them, because otherwise it's in vain. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So who does the work? God or you? You know what the answer is? Yes. <laughs> That's the answer. God gives you grace, but he expects you to not receive it in vain. And I got to hurry up. This is always the problem of all the preachers. One thing's for sure. Too many church plants, too many ministries in the church don't take the necessary time to be prepared according to God's word to live up to the calling that he has given to us. Quite often things are started with, I call it a romantic, adventurous notion. Oh, wouldn't it be cool to start a church? You know, I don't question people's intention, but good intentions just aren't good enough. We need the guidelines of the Word of God. And my friend, I can tell you from experience, I'm not crying about it. This is just a fact. I'm just stating it. Church planting is work. It's not for the, oh, I think this is a cool thing. It's work. It requires perseverance. It's a marathon and not a Sunday afternoon stroll. It is not for the curious and cool. It's for the called and the courageous. It's not like a ready-made TV dinner, you know. You just stick it in the microwave and here it is. No, if you want to eat the fruit of your labor in the ministry at the church, you need to labor and step out in the field, plow the field, get it ready, fight the weather, the storms, the parasites. It has a taste of blood, sweat, and tears. And you water it, and you're patient. You pray. You pray that God will grant growth. That's what we do. And it's very important in this whole endeavor that there's unity. You know, if there's unity in a leadership especially, but in the church as a whole, you can go through any trial. And one of the favorite vices of our enemy is to bring division in the church. And there's no reason for that. We have issues sometimes. Yes, we do. But you know what? We have forgiveness. Christ has forgiven us everything. Do we sin against each other? Yes. But we must learn to have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ was not to come and judge, but to save that which is lost and to bring forgiveness and unite us under the grace of God in the body which is his church. And Jesus made it very clear when he talked to the disciples in the upper room discourse the night before he got crucified. He says, by this they will know that you are my disciples, that you have love among each other. Love that deals with sin in a biblical way. Love that seeks unity and forgiveness. And hey, I've been married for many years. My oldest daughter is 27. I have six children at home. And I can tell you one thing. If you want any relationship to work, the single most important ingredient is to have a spirit of forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness and grant forgiveness. That's how we grow as a church. That's how we were made part of the body of Christ. And well, Mark, I guess I got to drop the last point because it's 11 o'clock. The last point would be God's church is sufficient. Maybe we can use that or go to it briefly in the Q&A. It's not long, but... I better stop now because 
you know, Mark might be two heads shorter than me, but he's a fierce fighter. I don't want to get in trouble with him, okay? <laughs> Seriously. Um, I'm just big. He's strong. <laughs> but let me leave you with this thought of forgiveness. And you know, when we, when we celebrate the Lord's table, there's just one reason why we're worthy to partake in the sacraments. It's because of forgiveness. And we, we didn't deserve it. We don't. And even the things that we will yet commit in the future that will be forgiven, we didn't deserve it either. So this reminds us time and time again, what is the all-uniting factor in this body, his church, whose head he is, whose captain he is, the captain who loves us, the good shepherd, whom I hope we all want to follow. Let me pray. Father in heaven, please forgive us if we think too high of ourselves. Forgive us for our boasting in whichever way we might have done it. Lord, we want to be the ones, as Peter says, who humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, under your good word, to be instructed, to learn, to repent, to ask and grant forgiveness. And Lord, we're grateful to celebrate the Lord's table now, which reminds us that we are forgiven. And it also reminds us that you will return. And Lord, we pray, come quickly. Amen.